you guys. You made it. You made it to another episode and I'm so dang glad that you're here. You're here. It's Life Over Brunch and it's me, Kiki, your fearless leader in all things food business, self-development, life, all things, all the things we find here on the Life Over Brunch podcast. And I'm really excited about who I had the pleasure of chatting with this week, Dr. Ray Lundy, the self-care doc. Dr. Ray is a clinical psychologist, a TEDx speaker, a writer, an associate VP at Wiley College down in Texas. She is a wealth of all things, self-care, emotional health, and more. I can't tell you how much I loved our conversation. And besides us chatting and diving into where her love of and desire to become a part of the psychology field, which is an amazing story in and of itself, we tapped on so many issues, talking about what it means to be emotionally free, the hindering things that keep us stuck in emotional purgatory, if you will. We talked about how accountability and intentional self-care can change so much for us on a daily basis to start to shed those negative narratives and step into a better version of ourselves. Dr. Ray has so many things to offer. I mean, we even talked about The Real Housewives. I mean, come on, right? It's too good. It's too good for you guys to miss out. But really, we talked about one of her methodologies called CRY, and it's compassion, reflective, being reflective, and how intentionality bring about what we need. And this is one of those episodes where you're really going to hear perspectives that you probably didn't even think existed before. Ray brings us all this and more and also lets us know it's always okay to cry. You're going to love this episode. So without wasting one more second of air, I'm going to hand this over, dive in and enjoy this episode of Life Over Brunch. Dr. Ray, I am beyond excited that you're here. I'm feeling ready to get a little emotionally free, right? We were, we were just talking about that before we recorded. And you just bring such a beautiful presence to all things about self-care. You are the self-care, self-care doc. So thank you for being here. I'm excited. How are you feeling today? I'm excited too. And I feel honored to um, share this space with you. I love your energy and I'm looking forward to see how the conversation unfolds. Yes, I will. Oh, thanks. I pre- I appreciate that. Maybe I'm too emotionally free. Maybe that's my maybe that's my problem. <laughs> no, no, no. I think so many of us are um, feeling stuck, unsure of what we're feeling at all, or either experiencing trauma that they've really not dealt with. And you model, I think, for folks that it's okay to be authentically yourself. So that's what I love about you. And um, again, I'm appreciative of being here because you bring that energy. And so um, you bring actually exactly what I hope folks can walk away with with some of the work that I'm doing. So it's going to be great. You and you do so, so much work. So I love to sort of take it back, you know, look at the grainy documentary footage of your life and in our minds and sort of Explain to me where, I mean, you are a clinical psychologist, so clearly you've read a few books in your day. And take me back to where the love of psychology came for you. 
Yeah, so um, I'd have to say it started when I was 12. Um, my parents divorced when I was young, and um, I find, found myself uh, being sad as a little one. And my mom, being the person she is, uh, she she saw that but didn't knew she couldn't necessarily support um, my emotional needs completely. And so she... Um, allowed me to experience my first therapeutic experience with a clinician. And it was in that experience that I feel like I became um, much um, freer. And I know we're going to talk later about emotional freedom, but I that experience gave me permission to express my emotions, whereas I had been um, holding them in. And that caused me to cry and, and, you know, and wasn't able to articulate what was going on. So that first therapeutic experience was like, okay, wow, there's somebody I can talk to who isn't going to judge me, and this will just stay with them. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. And then I found that I was the friend that everybody wanted to tell their issues to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I got older, um, I think I remember, be- remember being in high school and folks, um, our, my social studies, I think it was my social studies professor, asked what we wanted to do uh, or what we wanted to major in in college. And so up until that point, I'd always said I wanted to be a doctor, wanted to be a heart doctor, but again, this idea of psychology and helping folks was always in the back of my mind, and so um, it was during that time that I realized, you know what, I think I do want to be a doctor, um, and maybe even a heart doctor, but not one that does surgery. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought I learned more and and realized, hmm, what if I became a heart doctor, but from the emotional perspective, and so... Um, that's kind of where it was birthed from my own personal experiences of receiving support and then finding that I was pretty good at supporting others. I love that heart doctor from the emotional perspective. That's, that's awesome. You knew you were going to work with Mm -hmm. the heart. You just didn't know on the front, the front of it or the back of it. You weren't really sure. Mm -hmm. So in Mm -hmm. that first, you know, I always, I think this is interesting, um, in that having being so young. So I think now it's a little more commonplace for younger children to see therapists or clinicians. Um, but it hasn't always been like that. So I'm curious of your experience there when you went, um, and you were obviously upset about your parents' divorce, but did you find that gave you the tools to not only sort of clear that clutter out and be more aware of your emotions and how to express it in regard to the divorce, but was it also a help to look at other things that were bothering you or, or did those tools help you going along in life to be able to sort of decipher the feeling, understand where it's coming from Mm -hmm. and then work through it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's the latter, you know, kind of, um, identify the feeling, work through it. Um, and just having a safe space to do that. One of the things that we find in, um, uh, research and as we are going through our clinical training is that the therapeutic relationship is the strongest indicator of change. Someone will will essentially get better in therapy when they have a positive or trusting relationship with their therapist um, or psychologist. And so I was really um, fortunate to have a great relationship with that therapist and I really trusted her. Um, and so she, she created safe space, safe space for me to say, hey, I'm not okay. You know, and that's one of the things that really keeps us emotionally stuck is we 
are socialized to wear wear the mask and to pretend like we're okay even when we're not you know Mm -hmm. if someone asks you how you're doing today regardless of how you're feeling you're gonna say what what's your what's your first response gonna be i'm okay Mm -hmm. and often if we're not okay we haven't been given that permission because it doesn't feel safe and that first therapeutic experience taught me that when the space is safe i can be or i really am um, emotionally expressive and i was a shy i was an extremely shy child um to know me now folks probably don't believe that and they feel like oh you're, you can't be introverted mm, i actually kind of am mm-hmm. but it was in that kind of foundational experience that i realized you know what even if i am um, shyer or introverted that um, i have a lot to say um and even if it's not all great you know one of the things that came up in that early experience that i honestly still um in other seasons of my life have had to work through is this idea that i was pretty angry i was angry at mom and dad um and women aren't supposed to and little girls it's not okay for us to be angry Mm -hmm. and another piece or layer to that too you know i identify as african-american and a lot of times african-americans um particularly african-american women even little girls um they are viewed as more mature or older than they really are and so when they do have emotional expression um particularly things like anger um is viewed negatively but that safe space that therapeutic space told me it was okay to feel exactly what i was feeling and that i had permission to express what i was feeling and i thought what a gift um and i think my life calling and my life's work has been able to give that gift to others that's, it's so amazing. And you just said so, you just said 85 things. I don't know if you realized that, but, but you did. Um, I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to have to keep going back to what you're saying and then we'll move forward. So one thing you just said was that, you know, women, and, and you were saying, you know, African-American black women specifically, but I'm just going to, I'm going to take it out a little further, a little persp- out a little further, but women are always told, you know, you have to give guys a break. You mature faster than them. And I just saw something on maybe TikTok the other day, and it was like, where are they telling men, you should learn from girls. They grow up faster than you. You know, there's never that secondary conversation. It's just on us to like, oh, you know, you have to understand that they're a little more immature than you. Um, But the other thing was that you said is, you know, for you um, being an African-American woman or child girl um, and being mature or, or you should saying like, Oh, you're more mature and older. And I, I th- find it interesting that in that sphere, if you had been not even angry, but per se, per se, but expressing yourself, a lot of times it's viewed as angry. Yeah. 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 Culturally. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry about this is a terrible reference point, but I was just watching the real housewives of New York and there is a black woman who is in the cast. Now, I know, don't, you know, let's not judge me for my TV preferences, but there is... You know, no, actually, I would say um, Ebony is, yes. her, is her name, the new black cast I was just going to say, yes. She actually, she actually, I think, um, is perfectly cast for this season and for this time. Um, she is so socially conscious. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, what did you observe when she Did, when you, when did you, you just see this last it. week's episode where she had this altercation? I haven't. I, I haven't because 
my guilty pleasure is something different. We won't go there about what mine is, but <laughs> I haven't watched the episode. What I've been reading, though, is the commentary okay. um, or articles written on her um, and actually listening to her own words about the experience okay. because she, um, she happens to be my sorority sister, so we're in the same sorority, and so I'm totally an, a, a fan of hers. Okay. Um, but yeah, what happened this last So, week? okay, all roads lead back to the Real Housewives of New York. Um, it is the only Real Housewives I watched just before anyone thinks, you know, I'm really binging on the entire... <laughs> thing but so basically I mean there's always an issue with these women it is what the show is about I mean let's all be real but it it kind of for me I felt like went outside and it really clearly showed so if no one understands what white privilege is please go watch this most recent episode so you can get a glimpse just a tiny glimpse of what that looks like she's at Luann Luann's house and there's some sort of, you know, back and forth, which I forget, but it came down to her saying, you know, I'm the most, Ebony said, I am the most educated one at this table. It is a fact, if we looked at everything, everyone threw their resumes on the table, that is correct. That is factual. Well, because Luann was triggered, she was like, oh, you're coming in here and saying you're smarter, like don't walk into my house. I mean, there was this huge back and forth. And she, and the next thing Luann said was like, oh, look at you're getting angry. Ebony didn't raise her voice. Um, even um, Sonia Morgan was saying, well, I don't think she's being angry. She's just telling you what she's feeling. You know, so there were some people at the table who were like, this is just a conversation. We do this all the time, and we yell at each other knee-deep in a bottle of rosé. Whereas this was a conversation that was misinterpreted, I believe, by Luann because Ebony was black. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was yeah. so unfortunate, but I thought also so powerful. And I thought Ebony absolutely held her ground, and then she left. And I thought, good for you. Ab- good for you, because how many of us, no matter what the situation, would probably stay, try to smooth it over, let's make it okay, let's make everybody comfortable. And Ebony was not here for that. And I thought that yeah. was a really powerful statement. Yeah, there... I. I can tell you that I've had experiences similar to that where um, I remember one time in graduate school, um, I I earned my PhD from the University of Notre Dame, and um, I remember being in a class, um, and a classmate and I um, disagreed on a perspective, and um, again, I didn't raise my voice, and I was told that I was being angry um, simply because I had a response to something mm-hmm. she said, and, and I didn't agree. And so I definitely um, have had those experiences. I think you know, it, many black women could agree with that. And so, again, it reinforces what I shared earlier, that emotional um, expression. So, we, you know, on one hand, I'm talking about emotional freedom, but but some of us, or, you know, women included, and all women, um, and then uh to a different degree or extent, black women, yes. you know, we're given these mixed mis- given these mixed messages mm-hmm. about expressing our emotions. Um, because if we're being really honest, the stereotype about emotional expression is that it's a sign of weakness. So anytime we're we're sharing how we feel about something, if it's not happiness, um, you know, there can be this notion that, oh, you need to hold that in. You need to keep it in. And what is unequivocally um, true uh, for the human experience is that we are wired to 
uh, feel things, to express things. Our emotions are indicators for us. They're not good or bad. They are often um, an indicator or a tool to tell us when something is wrong. And so how we respond to that emotion is what's really the key. Um, But unfortunately, we haven't always been given the permission to do that. And as a result, um, many of us don't live the the full lives that we are called to because we're so um, concerned about either expressing or not expressing and what that could mean. And so, yeah, a lot of the the work that I do really is about creating safe space for folks to really feel and be free. So. Yeah, that's so important. And I think, you know, going into that a little bit more with the people kind of would probably will probably do come to you that are emotionally stuck sort of in this like thick mm-hmm. quicksand mud if you will and mm-hmm. trying to get themselves out what are some of the the stumbling blocks they're facing and then how do you how, like what are the blocks that you put together for them to utilize in in, in order yeah. to become unstuck yeah i think a major block that folks are experiencing any, you know, kind of across the board is um, fear. Fear is the, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question um, because we're afraid on a number of levels to be judged. Um, we're afraid that things won't get better. Uh, we're afraid that, you know, we're not enough. Um, for, you know, oftentimes for women, men as well, but this idea of imposter syndrome, Mm. um, feeling a lack of confidence, all of those things um, are what I would call emotional stuck points. And they can be triggered by childhood experiences, uh, current lived experiences, but I think fear uh, prevents us and it can be paralyzing. And so fear is a major um, the point that I, I find uh, gets in the way. And when we're afraid, if we don't deal with that, then it can keep us emotionally stuck. Um, I believe another um, stumbling block or emotional stuck point, and we've already addressed it a little bit, has been um, how we're socialized. Um, again, often we may be experiencing something and it's the um, peanut gallery around us that lets us reminds us well you know that's not socially acceptable uh, or it's the the magazine covers or the tv shows that we're watching mm-hmm. or it, or it's social media right everybody's got this glossed version of who they are and we are triggered and reminded of mm, well, I'm not that. That's not how I look. That's not how my life is. So I must not be doing something right. I must not be good enough. And so it's these social pressures that we experience. And I think a third, um, a third thing, and um, this may, um, you know, I hope folks receive this for what it is. I think sometimes we are our own stumbling block and yeah. get in the way. Um, I think. Um, because of all those things I just mentioned, the fear and the social pressures, um, we've internalized that, well, things are just going to stay this way. Um, and so because of that, then we engage in, in um, negative internal dialogue. Um, when we're looking at what's called cognitive behavioral therapy, a major tenet of that looks at this idea of the internal critic 
And it's this voice that runs in our head that tells us, oh, man, you shouldn't have done that, or that was stupid, mm-hmm. or um, you're never going to get another chance or another opportunity. And that's our own voice telling us that, right? right. So we are the thing that keeps us stuck. And um, until we deal with all three of those things, you know, some level of fear or or intense emotion that paralyzes until we deal with the voices of others or how we're socialized. And, and then lastly, but I think really critically important is until we deal with that voice um, of our own, then I think we do. We kind of go, it, it's probably cyclic, right? We may have a moment or a season where things are okay. And then you kind of get to a place where another life challenge happens or seasonally you experience something different and then you feel stuck again and I think those three things are where we want to begin um the latter part of your question though was what do I do to help folks Mm -hmm. and if I'm noticing any of those three things I really um I can kind of give you I can give you a specific response, which is, um, so in the TED Talk that I did, I talked about it being okay to cry, and cry being a three-step process or an acronym for being compassionate, reflective, and intentional, Mm -hmm. and the compassion piece is what I um, kind of do with folks that says, you know, why do you think, you know, how deserving are you of being well and being whole, starting with compassion. We give compassion to so many other people and things in our life that often we forget ourselves and we put ourselves on the back burner. So we have to give ourselves permission um, to be well, to be whole, to make different choices. And then that goes into the second part of cry, which is being reflective about what is it that I really need? What is my critical need? Um, Unless we get off of autopilot and um, reflect to say, what is my my actual need, not my I want to binge watch Netflix need. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to escape need, my passive self-care. Um, until we're actively and reflective about what is my specific need, then we, again, will kind of go through that cycle and be stuck. And the last thing I, I like to share with, with my clients and folks that I'm supporting is that even once we know what to do, we have to be intentional about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times we've all said this to ourselves, um, man, I need to exercise today. We don't put it on the calendar. We don't plan it. It won't get done. Um, or if we're not prioritizing it in a way. And then the last thing that I usually add to the intentionality is that if you can join an accountability partner, sometimes that helps. Mm-hmm. So CRY is a model um, that I developed and I, I like to give folks because it gives you kind of a framework for what to do to get out of that emotionally stuck place. Yep. So I know, like you said earlier, I said probably 85 things. You did. So tell me what you got. Okay. I ha- Don't worry. I'm taking notes over here. I- well, yeah, you did say a lot. I'm going to start with fear, though. And I think fear is really interesting because it's so personal to each individual. Because what mm-hmm. somebody is afraid of would be maybe showing up the way I do, which for me doesn't fear feel fearless. It just feels like me. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I have a fear. I mean, this, not that anyone cares. But I'm currently scared to drive on the highway. And it came out of nowhere. I mean, it kind of didn't come out of nowhere, but I'm really having a tough time. So whereas somebody might not be able to show up verbally or present as loudly or within their own skin as I do, they could also drive three hours away right now, right? So everybody's fear is so individual. So I think that it's something to remember that although you might not be going through the same thing, that paralyzing feeling 
is almost universal mm-hmm. to people that are dealing with mm-hmm. fear, right? And mm-hmm. so, like, let's, you know, you can't really judge one fear against another or judge yourself versus someone else. Know that you're not the only one in the world fearing this, but know that the paralysis you feel is universal in anyone who is fearful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, no, I think that, that that's a part of that. Yes, yes, that there, you know, there are differing uh, therapeutic opinions, but one train of thought is that, that yeah, you, you have, like, a um, initiating kind of traumatic experience or, like, a... Um, a, a an earlier experience that was unresolved that then shows up later mm-hmm. in life. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it would just keep knocking you down again and again. So it's like almost until you do the work on that, you're going to consistently yep. be triggered by something similar or that feeling of fear that maybe is evoked in those instances. Yep. And so mm-hmm. that inte- you have to do the work, right? Wouldn't you say that? You have to put the work in or it's going to be a cycle yeah, of... Seasonal That's why that last part of intentionality and then getting some accountability. Yeah, because if you don't do the work, it can be, you can be aware. You know, I think sometimes folks say that um, the first step to resolving a problem is knowing that there is one. Yeah. Well, true, but that, but that doesn't get you anywhere. Like the only thing <laughs> right. you do is know that it's there and you let it, and not let it keep festering, but it continues to fester. Uh, I think the reason I paused and said not let, because I'm not saying that any of this is easy. Mm-hmm. This is some hard stuff. Oh, yeah. And even as we're talking, um, even as we're talking, I'm realizing like, oh, I hope that I, I'm, I'm having, a, I'm going to have a moment of vulnerability. A lot of times when I talk and when I tell folks that I'm a psychologist, I get these really ridiculous responses. Oh, you're analyzing me. Or, oh, oh you're going to have a deep, a deep conversation. And I know today's episode is, or our conversation is one that is a little heavy. Um, but there's so much peace and joy and freedom on the other side of doing this work. Mm-hmm. As hard as it is, there is such a reward. And so I hope that um, anyone who's listening knows that, um, yeah, some of this stuff is heavy and it's not light and it's and it's and it's a heavy lift, um, but it's so rewarding and life can be and is um, beautiful when we when we're engaged and reflective and intentional about um, this idea of emotional freedom that we've been talking about. Yeah, I think that's so true. I but see for me, I'd be like, yes, like psychoanalyze me, please, like tell me more. <laughs> I want to know all of the things. But, you know, and I, I think, though, you're not doing that every time you talk to someone, right? You're not, uh-uh. you're not, when I was uh-uh. in fitness, I'd see people out at a restaurant, they're like, I ordered my vegetables. Like, buddy, I'm not, you're not paying me to look at your meal, so I don't really care what you eat. But I think that people probably do think that, and you know it's, it's not the case. And you, too... Um, had said, like, you had posted somewhere on Instagram, like, you you yourself um, have or had had a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Because everybody needs accountability. Everybody needs to do the work. You know, I've gone to yeah, a therapist I, before as well. So, I mean, like, everybody gone, needs... You've gone as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? Absolutely. <laughs> People who know me are probably like, yeah, we oh, don't, yeah. I don't know why we don't... I mean, I mean, I don't know if it necessarily has to be brunch conversation to say oh yeah my therapist but amongst my friends and I we do we're like yeah um I'll have my therapy session today um and then I'll follow up with my girlfriend and be like oh um how was therapy today you know I, I think I think this idea of um 
I read something the other day, or a meme, I think it was on, on Instagram, that talked about the new wealth is not about, um, you know, um, fancy cars and um, having, you know, five or six degrees, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's about uh, what we've been saying, being whole, healthy, emotionally stable, um, walking in purpose, giving to others, and, you know, and financially that comes with, you know, maybe having the means to do all of those things, right. but it is, but, but, you know, being able to talk about what you're doing and to, to be whole, I think that, I think there's nothing wrong with that. And actually so many times people say, well, um, once we dig into the conversation we're having today, they're like, okay, yeah, you know, it's that bad, but where do we start? It starts with having conversations like this. Mm-hmm. And we just, you know, finished May being Mental Health Awareness Month. And the more we can have destigmatizing conversations, the more folks will feel comfortable over brunch saying, yeah, I had my therapy session today. Let me tell you what my therapist said. Um, right. So I think that I'm really appreciative again of for you inviting me on to, 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 to chat and to have some conversation because this is where it starts. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, I think it's the people that are able to step out of like them, step outside of themselves and say, yeah, I went to therapy today. Like, and what about it? You know, who's, what, what are you going to say about it? There's nothing you can come back and say to that. But for the people that aren't there yet, that maybe need to take a step in that direction to seek some sort of either a, a clinical psychologist, a therapist, a coach, whatever there's, whatever is going to that first step for their own emotional health to be better. I think what it is, and you'd sort of touched on this before is feeling stuck in sort of this, this limbo or this r- rinse and repeat cycle of making everything look okay on the outside when it really isn't. Make everything look great. You know, I always say, like, put the lipstick on the pig and say it's a, you know, a supermodel or whatever. That's, uh-huh. and I think that seeing that, I think is really, it gets hardwired into you. So you think like, okay, I have an issue, but just stay quiet about it. You know, I don't feel great about this, but just stay quiet on it and maybe it'll go away. So that's where I think some of that, the fear of stepping outside the norm of maybe what people know. And then the fear of judgment on the other side if people find out. Because, you know what I mean? They're just not okay enough. Because you're not going to be okay with somebody, what somebody says about you until you're so okay in your own skin. So if you are seeing a therapist and you're not ready to share that, don't feel like you have to tell your brunch crew if you're not ready, right? But just still go anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think the key, you said it, you hit on it there, um, is that everybody's at a different stage of comfort. I think but the key is don't let other people's opinions prevent you from doing your own healing work. Yeah. So nobody's saying, we're not saying, um, because I always talk about vulnerability being a superpower. Um, I think it, I think it freezes. I mean, you know, it's part of this process. And yet, don't do it before you're ready because mm-hmm. you'll then you may feel injured or you may feel triggered. But what you don't want to do is let anybody else's um, opinion shame you for the work that you're doing right. for yourself because right. this is your life. Right. Because I do think I think vulnerability is a superpower, and I think it feels way more comfortable for me to be vulnerable about uh, excuse me vulnerable about my experience. Because I know my experience is potentially has the opportunity to help someone else if I say it out loud. But I'm also going to be okay with any ramifications that might come from that. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. That means you've done a level of the healing that says, you know, if someone doesn't receive this in the way that I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to them, yeah. um, that it won't injure me. For someone stepping into their own experience and offering that up, you know, no one should really have anything to say except for, you know, good for you. Yeah, but you know, as well as I do, or maybe not, but I, I find that people, oh, I people do know. I give black or, or have an opinion. And, you know, the, the call it human nature, you know, there's some studies that say that uh, gossip or kind of talking about other people's experiences, that we sometimes use that as a connector. So in workspaces or even in settings, if you're in a group of friends, Mm -hmm. sometimes folks use that to kind of talk about other people's experiences as a way of like uh, trying to one up for themselves or or to establish their own level of um, cultural um, status. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it happens. We've all done it. But I think, you know, those things that we we've read that say you know you never know what someone's silent battle is Mm, um i think we we want to keep that in mind because people everybody's dealing with something different and no matter what your status is no matter your race no matter your um level of financial freedom we're all going to have some stuff and so giving each other grace and going back to what i said about compassion grace and compassion i think that that just does a world for us to be able to work through that stuff work through those issues um when we can just be a little bit more gracious i i so agree with that and i think too is like um if you're judged by one event then who are any of us if we were just going to be judged for the rest of our life by one event but what i find is instead of looking at the specific messiness of a person, try to sit there and say, like, what else could possibly be going on? I don't think anyone gives anyone that kind of... I mean, I think some people do, but I don't think the majority of people will give an individual that kind of grace to say, okay, you clearly are going through something. Mm -hmm. So let's... Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. is that that you're going through? Because that was a messy event for you. Why don't we kind of pull back your bad behavior and look at what's underneath and it's way easier because that's work for everybody it's way easier to just write that person off up bad seed see you later we don't want to deal you are you know i'm over here owing okay so we can tell the folks before we got on our recording or our call our brunch talk today we before we came (laughs) i was omg i was dealing with an issue um, mm-hmm. where someone treated me or has been, has been consistently treating me in a way that makes me angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you're talking, what I realize is that person is probably going through something and that much of what she's giving me isn't even about me. So I, I, I still think I want to manage that situation in a way where I advocate for myself, but I don't have to internalize it. Right. And I think that that's a key to what you're saying is that mm-hmm. when someone else treats us in a way that doesn't feel safe or when it kind of bumps up against our own emotional stuff points. I didn't say this, but one of my stuff points is feeling rejected, Mm. right? So when someone treats me a certain way, um, like this person I was sharing with you, um, and I immediately internalize it as, as it is like some, um, detriment for me or some 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 way in which that I'm falling short and what you were able to say very articulately is that quite often folks are dealing with something and if we um, 
can extend that grace. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps us know how to respond because everything we've been talking about has been clearly that it's these emotional responses that we're having. We're all going to have them. We may go in and out of a cycle in terms of having them, but it's how we respond to it. It's the what do we do after. Um, so thank you for giving that to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm listening you know. to you. I'm having this metacognitive moment. <laughs> I think I'm like, oh, you know what? She's treated me that way, and that doesn't even have anything to do with me. Right. Hmm. Well, I mean, I yeah. was a psychology minor, okay? So that's where... No, I'm just Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I love it. I just... Yeah, I think that, you know, it's it's something to be said. Because I also think, too, is I've been... You just said, you know, rejection is a trigger kind of for you. And I think I come from a place of, you know, abandonment, like being left and mm. being thrown out with the trash and being, you know, that kind of thing. That's really the trigger for me. So I know when I've been in my own situations where I've been struggling under the surface with something else, but it really came out, I keep using the word messy, but that's the best way I can describe it. But I have had people step away. And that's so hard because, you know, part of me in that not in that abandonment moment feels like, well, wait, no, wait, wait, wait. Now that I'm over this and I could look at it from the other side of it, this is what I was feeling and this was my this is my action to that feeling as opposed to dealing with it in a healthy way you know, you always want to feel heard. And when people don't feel like they felt heard, you sort of grapple with that and say like, oh, wait, no, just just listen, just hear me out. And I think that's something else to say, you might not be heard by certain people. You might have to sit with that feeling of abandonment, of not getting the last word in, but you have to look at, instead of allowing it to continue to trigger you, manage that emotion so that the next instance mm-hmm. that occurs, it doesn't trigger you as much. And that, I think, is the work. Mm-hmm. Because we're always going to yeah. be triggered, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The work. The work that we are called to do. It's possible. But I go back to, you know, you're having an accountability moment moment for me. And I know that... Um, your podcast does that for other folks too, even though, you know, you're, you talk about an array of topics. I think, um, you're giving folks the permission to do the work and what I said earlier about safe space. So I don't, if you're, if you're listening and and for you, I'm such a, I like to affirm folks for them to know that when they're in, um, when they're in a good space or just reminding reminding you and reminding us all um, because this work is so hard we need to hear more and more um, affirmation um, versus that internal critic that I talked about earlier right so yeah thanks thanks for creating safe space well yes and you are creating so many safe spaces for people you um, are able to work with people individually you do one-on-one coaching but Mm -hmm. and and help but you also just wrapped up a six-week your six-week freedom collective group and yeah is and that's a space where is it like the one-on-one experience just over a broader or over a longer extended period of time how does that work Ooh, ooh, ooh. no I would say no. <laughs> it's nothing like the one-on-one experience and it's actually nothing like every, anything I've ever done so um as a clinician or a psychologist I have done group therapy before and group therapy usually is a group of anywhere between eight to ten folks and you're usually um, focused on a central topic, and you engage in therapeutic strategies around that topic. This 
I've been searching for the word to describe it. Um, I've called it a wellness support space um, because it is a um, combination of what I would say is like therapeutic coaching, leadership development, um, and then there was some 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 elements of um, clinical intervention. And so it's not quite therapy, not quite coaching, not quite leadership development, but a little bit of all of those things. And so it's a lot that happens in six weeks. And so each um, member of the Freedom Collective uh, meets with me twice a week for two hours on Monday, two hours on Thursday. So I think that's, a, that's one thing that I could say I find is different from a lot of the group programs that um, I'm familiar with is that there is a major time investment here um, because if what I what I promote to the folks who are participating is that this will be an opportunity to walk away um, with your emotional freedom. And six weeks, is, six weeks is not a lot of time. If you've been dealing with something, like you said earlier, um, from the time you were 15, Mm-hmm. To to kind of dig into that and to say at the end of a six week process you'll be emotionally free that's a lot that's a, that's a lot to say but right. again we're meeting Monday and Thursday we start by um, looking at what are your three emotional stuck points um, so we identify that in a one on one session before you even um, enter the group and then the next thing that happens very early on because I talked about accountability being a major component you're given an accountability partner so you are meeting with me and the other women in the Freedom Collective on Monday and Thursday but then you have an accountability partner that you check with in, in with throughout the week um, and that actually seems to have been or seems to be one of the things that those who are participating in the Freedom Correct Collective really love um, there is a workbook that you are provided with um, that reinforces the strategies that we uh, go over each week. And then a major component are these six steps to emotional freedom. And those six steps look at identifying where you're stuck. And I told you we do that before we even get started. Um, Then we process the feelings associated with that in safe space. Um, and then we look at where are the limiting beliefs that are keeping us stuck in those emotional stuck points. Um, and then we look at, okay, how can I create additional um, or new ways of being that will help me to move away from those stuck points? Um, and then we're looking at practicing those new ways of being um, and then maintenance. So there's these six steps that take us through the process of emotional freedom. And then I think a last major part that I'll tell folks is that a lot of times when we're emotionally stuck, it shows in our professional or business spaces. So how we um, move through the world. And so the core strengths assessment is a um, leadership and personality assessment that every person who's a part of the Freedom Collective um, is, is administered. And then we go through several sessions where we're processing what is your motivation style? How do you deal with conflict? Um, how do you, because when we think about being stuck, conflict um, and fear of that can be one of those things that keep us stuck. And so there is so much that's packed into this six weeks. So it's definitely not like individual therapy because you um, are stretched in ways 
um, in such a short period of time. You're given, though, the one-on-one sessions, which can probably help you go through some of that more therapeutic individual piece. But I think you're able to do that more effectively when you're moving along in a group. Um, And so it's been an amazing experience for me as the facilitator. My life has changed, and every woman who participated, she talks about how her life has changed. And I guess I should end with that, that this is a space for women. And so I'm thinking in my brain, like, how do I support men? Because I believe they have um, needs as well. But this is a space specific to the needs of women and about how they can get free. And it's been life-changing for me and for those who participated. So I've been extremely excited. We wrapped up. And uh, I'm excited to look forward to the future to see who else I can serve. That's amazing. And I know you're you're opening that up um, to start again in August. So as we talked before, people could go on to your website, selfcaredoc.com, and schedule a discovery call with you in order to kind of get themselves into this the six-week Freedom Collective because I know you're only letting in eight to ten people and you've already started the calls. So if you're listening to this and you want to be in this extremely insightful and life-changing container um, it's going to close fast. So <laughs> I recommend yeah. getting that call in and all the information and ways to get in touch with Dr. Ray are going to be in the show notes. If the Freedom Collective, um, if they're not ready quite yet for that deep dive, I know I talked about it being two times a week. I am also offering a, um, a workshop in conjunction with um, one of my favorite people. So I'm the self-care doctor, and she is the etiquette doctor. Um, And we will be providing um, support for women, again, but we're looking at confronting professional trauma, uh, releasing the fear, and landing the job you deserve. And so she is a leadership coach, and what she's finding in her work is that a lot of women, again, are emotionally stuck. And so we decided to kind of join forces, and that will be on June 15th, um, and the information for that, you can register on Eventbrite, um, but we'd love to support anyone who feels like, you know what, whether it's in your personal business, whether you're in corporate America, wherever, whatever your industry, um, if you feel like there's some things that have happened that have caused me to doubt myself, or I'm just really not sure about what the next step is, this is a workshop for you, and that'll be on June the 15th at um, 6 p.m. Central. Oh, I love that. I will have that Eventbrite link also in the show notes. So you guys could click away and sign up and not miss an opportunity to be enlightened and emotionally freed by Dr. Ray. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I know if you're anything like I was after listening to that interview, you're definitely doing some deep thinking right now. I can't tell you how amazing of a person Dr. Ray is, and it is so worth your while to go and visit her website, to visit her Instagram page, and even this January 15th, which is um, coming out, this episode will be dropping on the 10th, so you have a couple of days to sign up and dive into that webinar with herself and the etiquette doc. I think that you will have more breakthroughs personally Anytime you get to talk with Dr. Ray, worth it to also dive in and get that call in if you want to be part of her next Freedom Collective. It will sell out. This is how good she is. So guys, please, all that information is in the show notes. Hit her up. Hit her up. You need her. You need her in your life. I'm so appreciative you guys stopped in and joined today. 
and would be thrilled if you wanted to share this episode with a friend. If you liked it, leave a review, follow, subscribe, do all those things. That is the air of us podcasters. If you want to learn more about Kiki Spreads, the spreads that keep the Life Over Brunch podcast moving, you could head to at Kiki Spreads on Instagram, kikispreads.com in the interwebs. And always, you know you can reach out. Shoot me a line. Send me a smoke signal. Send me a text. I'm always excited to talk to you. And until we chat again, stay super swell. Stay super swell.